0: The secrets of the dark side, those whispers
1: that's the dark side, the seduction of its power. But maybe for once it speaks the truth.
0: Maybe I must challenge the dark side from within. It's your decision, young
2: Skywalker.
3: Now! I... I... Yes.
0: My father's destiny is my own. It is done, my young apprentice.
2: Let us celebrate our conquest of the galaxy.
3: Everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampas Lair podcast. This is episode number 391, Legends of the Expanded Universe. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Ben Skywalker to my Jason Solo, we've got Carl LeClaire. Oh my God, I love that. That is such
4: a great and fun and apropos description of us as we come into this. Uh, like really fun exciting episode I am super pumped to just talk about some old expanded universe stories that that we've always enjoyed or sat with for a very long period of time because there's obviously been the legends canon is much bigger than the new expanded universe canon obviously it, it existed for over 30 years um but that is what we're going to be talking about in this episode is just looking over some of our favorite old legend stories that we we really enjoyed um so back in May, I actually kind of reread a bunch of my favorite old Legends books just for the fun of it. You know, I mean, I think I think it's fair to say that in May, all of us were really feeling the intense stress of the pandemic <laughs> and whatnot. And I was like, I just need some fun books to read again. So I just pulled off all these old Star Wars books from the shelf. Uh, I started a Star Wars book group with some friends, and uh, I, I really enjoyed them. I mean, they are they are very flawed in my opinion for lots of reasons, but there are just still so many fun stories from that old. Uh, repertoire and obviously Jason and i are certainly not experts on that era i mean you want to look at star wars beyond the films if you're looking for more in-depth knowledge about this particular stuff but um but this is just kind of an opportunity for us to talk about some of the stories that we really liked and um kind of the lasting impact they had um on our on our view and enjoyment of star wars um So, yeah, that's what we're going to be kind of diving into in this in this week's episode. And I'm really excited to do this with you, Jason slash Darth Kytus.
3: (laughs) And I am the podcast. Uh, (laughs) Even in the expanded universe, Uh, (laughs) I never can win. (laughs) Oh man, I'm I'm very excited about this too. But before we get into that, we we had a matchup, Carl from from last episode.
4: We sure did, and it did not fare well for one particular combatant. Um, not really. <laughs> so. We put Return of the Jedi Luke up against the um, Revenge of the Sith Obi Wan Kenobi, and between Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, folks came in strongly for a particular individual what did the larians have to say about this epic yet not so epic showdown
3: (laughs) (laughs) well they they said quite a bit um mostly for one of them uh the the tally that we have though uh for our larians between facebook twitter and instagram we've got um let's just come out with it 72 for obi-wan kenobi and 22 for luke skywalker um, the Revenge of the Sith, Obi-Wan Kenobi handily swept the floor with Return of the Jedi Luke in our matchup here. But Carl, I'm very curious as to what you think about this because I have my own thoughts. And I think this is a much closer matchup than our our results, in my opinion, a much closer matchup than, my, than our results show. So what do you think?
4: Yeah, well, I'm kind of of two minds here. So. Um, initially, honestly, I was going to give it to Luke because I feel like he is, in a, in a very particular way, a more complete Jedi in Return of the Jedi than Obi Wan was in in Revenge of the Sith. In so far as Obi Wan was, in a lot of ways, crippled by, you know, kind of the the broken Jedi code and the not Jedi code but Jedi order, and I feel like Obi Wan, as a result, was kind of a less complete. Jedi as a result of that no fault of his but as a kind of a victim of that circumstance whereas I felt like Luke is a much more full version of his understanding of being a Jedi in Return of the Jedi but after reading so many of the comments and folks kind of reminding me of why we do these matchups it's ultimately is like all right if they actually just fought we're talking pure combat skills yeah I think Obi-Wan easily takes the day I mean he is a master of the Sorosu right form two I believe it is um, you know, he fought in the uh, Clone Wars.
3: No, uh, form two is what Dooku uses, I oh, believe, that's right, the- which is Sorosu. Yeah, oh, no, Mikashi.
4: Makashi, I think, is Do- Dooku. Yeah,
3: Mikashi is form two. Sorosu, I believe, is four.
4: Yep, I believe you are right. Yeah, but you know, but that that is what Obi Wan uses, right? But you have Obi Wan who was trained by Qui Gon, who was trained by Dooku. Um, mm. You know, so I think pure combat wise, yeah, Obi Wan does win it pretty handily. Um,
3: but I don't know. What do you think? Oh, I have been back and forth on this all week, uh, because I do think pure combat skills do go to Obi-Wan at this point. However, Obi-Wan is also a bit unbalanced emotionally, you know, mentally, emotionally Mm. in Revenge of the Sith, where Luke isn't as much. Um, and I think, I think it's just so difficult because Obi-Wan is this is the height of Obi-Wan's abilities but Luke is also on the rise and he's ascendant and this is where he destroys the Sith by you know bringing back Anakin but that is more spiritual and force-led than any sort of combat-led hmm. so we swing, swing back to Obi-Wan so I do think the the actual duel would be a lot closer than I think most people are, are implying when they when they respond to this. But ultimately, because we are pitting this up against, you know, a, as a matchup, I'm going to have to give it to Obi-Wan as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to give it to Luke uh, just because of the fo- the Force aspect, but I can't... There isn't... There isn't enough, I think, to overcome... Obi Wan's just general all around peak at this point.
4: Yeah. So
3: um so that gives us a final tally of seventy-four for Obi Wan Kenobi and twenty two for Luke Skywalker. But not close. <laughs> not really. <laughs> not really. But oh, that's alright. We're we're bound to have some blowouts, so
4: and this is one of yeah, them. and we've Well, we've had some close ones as of late, so we were due for a blowout, I guess. Uh,
3: yeah, I think so. Um, well, yeah, we've got a fun poll for you at the end of the episode, so stick around for that. Uh, is there anything else, Carl, before we need to jump into this topic? Our, our stories, our legends of the Legends universe? Um, the only thing that I remember, uh, I,
4: I forgot to put a note down, but it just struck me as you said that. Um, we will continue the A New Hope radio drama at the end of this episode. Um, I did not play yep. it last week when we had Mary Claire on the show because um, the Star Wars Lessons is kind of a separate segment. But every Wampasler episode, we will continue to put an episode of the A New Hope radio drama at the end. So tonight, if you want, stick around at the end of the episode for episode two of the A New Hope radio drama.
3: Indeed. Um, it's good stuff.
4: Yeah, I love it.
3: So I, I think this is where we actually get into – what happens in the film? Nope. No. Not, till, nope, episode, nope. not till episode three. Yep. <laughs> 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 this is all right. still all stuff. So episode
4: one was looking at Luke's life on Tatooine. Episode two tonight, which will basically cover what Leia's is up to. And yeah. I think we also get them stealing the Death Star plans, which is a very different version, obviously, than Rogue One. Right. Um, but um, still yeah. Still so, yeah, stick around if you've not heard that before. It's it's great. It's it's just such a I love The a New Hope Radio Drama. It's just so it's gold.
3: <laughs> and if you have heard it before, stick around. You'll enjoy it again. Yes. I know. I know.
4: Um but yeah, let's let's get into these these old stories of of myth and legend. Um and you know, before we before we dive into like our favorite elements of them, I was just thinking a lot um as I was reading some of these books about um, so there, there have been a few of these old Canon books I've picked up, like the old legends books that I've picked up that I remember having loved. And honestly, I would read like a few chapters and put it back on the shelf. And my, my main hang up of some of the books that I used to love so much is the way they characterize Luke and Han specifically, and even a little bit Leia just feels very off to me, um, mm. You know, like Luke is like very clearly being set up into being a superhero, which again, I don't think that's what the force was ever about. Um, And it's something that Ryan Johnson talked about beautifully in one of the behind the scenes things for Last Jedi is about how he really wanted to kind of recenter the force, not on being a superpower, but on like something more spiritual. Um, So the books really take Luke to this kind of like superhero demigod (laughs) angle, which ultimately I think did a disservice to the character. And Han is also just like this weird, like quirky dingus who's always just telling stupid <laughs> jokes. And I feel like they, they kind of miss the complexity of his character as well. So I'm not, I'm not trying to be negative or a jerk or say that they're all crap. Cause obviously I love so many of these stories, but what it got me thinking was even though I wanted to put some of those books back on the shelf, I still hold and cherish the, the heart of what so many of these stories are. And that's kind of what I'm focusing on and the things I'm going to talk about in this episode is um, even if some of the moments I'm talking about aren't from particular books or stories that I am still crazy about the kind of the, the, the legends, the, the excitement that these stories gave me still matter. Um, And they were still formative to my experience and love of star Wars. So while there's certain intricacies in the way Luke is written that I don't particularly like, I still love so many of the stories about him. Does that make sense like am I making any sense here
3: it does it really does um, because these they all have impactful moments all of these things have their their moments and even and most of my stuff that I have on my list are just specific moments um, from books you know we're, we're not we're not giving you know full story breakdowns um, <laughs> or you know the whole way and things like that um, that's what Wikipedia is for. <laughs> exactly exactly um but yeah no the there are moments that we remember for one reason or another that yeah. are just really great they hit us uh in a certain way at a certain time and it's it's stuck there in our in our star wars mythos in the back of our mind and for whatever reason it, it still influences things or it's just something fun to go back to yeah and re-experience again so yeah it, just because the overall trajectory of someone uh, or something in a the, the Legends universe doesn't track with what you see and what you enjoy about the current canon doesn't mean that they still don't have amazing and awesome stuff that happens. So um, I do remember Han being a little bit inconsistent. Yes. Just based on whatever story was being told. Um, and yeah, Luke definitely was definitely being grilled or groomed to be superhero Skywalker, uh, with the capital S on his Jedi tunic. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) but I loved it, but I loved it. There were, there were some really awesome moments where he was that superhero that I was like, Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but I think the story that we're getting is a bit more down to earth, which fits his farm boy personality more anyways, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but enough about all that. Let's get into some of these moments. Do you want to go first, or shall I go first, sir? Uh, I'll go first. Um, okay, I never go first. Who talks first? You talk first. I talk first. I can't understand you through the apparatus. <laughs> the sky apparatus. Um. <laughs> um,
4: yeah. Uh, actually, really quick, something you just said though reminded me of. Uh, one of my favorite books that was published just—I want to say—last year. It, 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 I'm hoping it becomes a series. It's called "Star Wars Icons: Han Solo," and it's basically oh, yeah. this—it's it's this beautiful book that charts the character of Han Solo from his earliest conception in George Lucas's mind up through the movie Solo, and it discusses all of kind of Han Solo's narrative arcs through the history of Star Wars. It's—it's it's really an incredible work. Um, even if you're not a Han Solo fan, I think anybody could really enjoy this. And again, like I'd love to see something like this done for Luke. I mean, it'd be tough for some char- like, characters that are only in a movie. You can't really do that. But like these characters that have existed for 40 years, you know, easily Leia could be done, Kenobi, Anakin and Vader. So it basically it, it's it's a nonfiction book about obviously a fictional character, but it's so neat. It starts, again, like looking at Han Solo in George Lucas's earliest drafts. And then it, you know, there's an entire section on his his appearance in the you know 70s and 80s Marvel comics series, much of which I knew nothing about because I don't know those stories. It goes into the you know the expanded universe from the 90s into the 2000s. You know, gives character breakdowns from in there, and then goes into the new canon and his appearance in Solo and Force Awakens. Um, it's it's awesome, and I really hope they continue to do more of these. Um, so yeah, if that's something you're interested in, check that. It's called Star Wars Icons: Han Solo. I um, mean you don't get it wherever books are sold. Um, it's, it's phenomenal. I love it. Um, nice. But all right, sorry, I've diluted long enough. Um, <laughs> so my first mo- this is the only specific moment actually on my list. And it's the, uh, the sacrifice and death of Chewbacca. Um, oh, such a good- yeah. By the way, obviously, sorry, spoilers ahead for legends material. I'm so sorry. I mean, these yeah. stories, all the stories I'm going to mention, tonight have been around for at least a decade. Most of them much longer. Um but yeah. I apologize. So if you didn't know that, I apologize. Um but yes, so in I forgot to look up the year, but the, the first book of the new Jedi Order series, Vector Prime, um, which was written by R. A. Salvatore, I believe. Um so yeah, Jason's looking it up for me. Thanks, buddy. Um so in Vector Prime, it's 1999. this ninety ninety nine. Ninety nine. Okay. So in this story, um, you have you know the first appearance of the Yuzhen Vong, which is – the New Jedi Order, I believe, is the longest series in all of Star Wars literature. Um, yep. It's for book literature for that matter, not on running comics. But um, 19 it, books. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, I never read all of them. I got bored of it. But it started with a bang. And I remember there being an article in the Star Wars Insider about this. I mean this was a huge decision to kill off Chewie and I'm almost positive they got the okay from George Lucas. Um, because obviously George had nothing to do with almost any of the books, very few of them, for that matter. I think bi- like a big decision like this, they got to the point where you know they'd been writing sto- they'd, There'd been this expanded universe now since ninety one with the start of heir to the empire. They felt like the stories were just kind of constantly recycling, and they were. It was like, oh, the twins got captured again. Oh, the the empire's yeah. still around. Oh, there's a new warlord. So, the stories were becoming very recycled. So they made this decision to bring in this totally alien species, the Eujin Vong, impervious to the force um, and uh, you know and they wanted to start the series with a bang by killing a major character to show that you know our characters oh, it, are, are are under attack there 's a threat for the first time in a long time, right um, but the way chewie goes out is also so iconic and so big. So I, again, I don't remember all the intricacies of the stories, but ultimately, there is you know the, our heroes are escaping from a planet as this moon comes crashing into the planet, and as the Falcon is taking off, Chewie basically lifts little Anakin, Anakin Solo up to Han on the boarding ramp of the Falcon, and then the moon crushes Chew. I mean, it takes a moon to destroy Chewbacca. Yeah, um, and it's just an incredible. Story, and it's like this is in a way Chewie kind of literally giving the last of himself to protect Han's family. You know, um, he gives everything to Han and Han's offspring, and he literally loses his life for the person that he loves. And what's also then really interesting about this particular story is it does cause a disruption in Han and Leia's relationship. Um, Several books moving forward in the New Jedi Order series, look at how the two of them become very contentious, and Han is also very apathetic to his other children. I mean,
3: losing Chewie... He's agonistic towards his oldest son, Jason, because Jason was flying the Falcon and pulled away Yeah, because there was no more time. Yeah.
4: So it's, I mean, it immediately made me think of, you know... The reality of in The Force Awakens, we learn that Han and Leia have been at odds because of Ben's fall, right? Mm -hmm. It takes something cataclysmic to break them up, right? Even though their their love is obviously imperfect, we learn in Force Awakens, but something cataclysmic really ruptured them. And this is the first time in the expanded universe where we have a clear rupture and a classic relationship from Star Wars, which is obviously the most classic is Han and Leia. And Han yeah. losing Chu, I mean, he loses a piece of himself. And Han is not the same character for a while after this event, which makes sense. Um,
3: he so, goes with deep depression.
4: Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've never, I, so a friend of mine is currently doing a reread of The New Jedi Order. Um, and uh, he just finished reading one of the novellas called Recovery, which is written by Troy Denning. And it's about how Han and Leia fix their relationship. It's ultimately about them coming back together in light of Chewie's death. So I actually just, I've just bought it for my Kindle. I've never read it. I'm looking forward to reading it. Um, oh, probably, nice. probably read it next week at some point, but I'm excited to read that story. Um, but yeah, so that's my first one. And is Chewie giving his life for
3: Han's family? I will never forget the moment because, you know, the new Jedi order was such a big event that it not it was primarily initially, you know, just the, um, Publishing book publishing, but they made uh, comics of it, and this moment was in the comics. And the the image that they have, um, you know, Chewie throws Anakin up, Anakin up to Han. Jason pulls the Falcon away because the moon's about to hit. Chewie turns around and just you know, lifts his fist and roars yeah. at the moon as it collides with the planet, and the I. The iconic image of that has been burned into my brain forever. Um, it's it's so tragic that it happens that way, but it's also such a an iconic image and an iconic moment um, in Star Wars Legends. Like yeah. there may not be anything that reaches that kind of iconic status. Well, he's the
4: yeah, he's the only major character to be killed in the old Legends universe that I can remember, at least. I mean, of yeah. the of the original crew, there are obviously you know new characters that were introduced in the Legends canon that were killed. Um, yeah, Anakin Solo gets killed in that
3: particular arc, right? In New Jedi Order, he's killed yeah. in it. Um, yeah, Akbar dies in you know of old age during that arc. You know, oh, okay. uh, during, during the New Jedi Order, yeah. You know, he's it's like several it, it's quite farther down and and the you know uh republic command tries to figure out how they can move on uh without his tactical genius to to take on the uh the use on vong but yeah no they, there's a lot of old characters that that died or or had horrible things happen to their families in that series yeah yeah i mean ugh
4: just so tragic and iconic
3: it really is
4: um, um, yeah well, I, I wish I could find the old I'm, not, I'm honestly looking right now to try to find there was a really great painting of that scene um, that was in the Star Wars Insider article back in I should just look I'm trying to find I can't find it but I'm going to try to find it so I can share it with the when I post this episode but nice. yeah anyway but what, is, what is your first the first moment you want to talk about
3: Awesome. Yeah, um, I'm. I've got uh, five moments here, and I'm going to go ahead and just uh, give them in their their chronological order here because nice. I, I don't I don't have a way to to <laughs> categorize this as favorite or not. Um, but I'm going to go all the way back to a, a a comic series called Jedi Council: Acts of War that takes place. I, I want to say it's about uh, a year or like a year or so before the Phantom Menace. Um, and in this this comic series, it's a four I believe it's a four issue comic series, um, there is a a race of, of reptilian aliens called the Yinkori or the Yinchori, I'm not sure which how you pronounce it. Um, but they are being spurred on by Darth Sidious to um, essentially threaten to attack the Republic. And the Jedi have to send a huge task force Try and stop this and to, to quell things. And so they send out um, four, four teams. And uh, Obi-Wan and, and Qui-Gon are on one of these teams. But they also have Jedi Council members on each of these teams. And so basically half of the Council is gone for this crisis. And the second, I believe it's the second book in the series, opens with a strike force of these Yunkori launching an assault on the Jedi Temple. Wow. On Coruscant. Um, it fails miserably. Um, because the the Jedi who is, you know, outside on guard duty, you know, she gets killed, but she alerts somebody. And the, the great moment is the, the strike force is going in with the the lights on, on their shoulders and everything, their rifles raised. Oh, and they've got cortosis or... On their gauntlets, which in Legends, Cortosis is an ore that is lightsaber resistant, hmm. and it causes the lightsaber to short out, and it's it, it becomes a reoccurring thing that's used a lot by Mandalorians and other, you know, uh, foes of the Jedi throughout a lot of the Legends um, timeline. But they've got these Cortosis ore gauntlets and, and, like, arm shields and things like that. So they're, they're a formidable opponent, but... The iconic image from this is that they've, they've blasted a hole in the side of the, the, the wall to the temple, and it's at night. Um, and they're, they're going around, swinging their lights around, raising their rifles, and the younglings aren't there. They're supposed to be there to take out the younglings. And they open a door, and there's just like three dozen Jedi with their lightsabers ignited waiting for them, led by Yoda. <laughs> um, and it's pretty awesome. Uh, so... They they don't show the the fight in detail, um, but they show the aftermath later because they cut to one of the other strike teams. Um, but it's a really interesting series, and um, a, one of the council members is actually killed um, in it too. So it's it, you know, it, and he's the one that Kiethi Mundi replaces. Kiethi is not on the council at this point, so. Um, but yeah, it's a fun story, and I've always enjoyed it. It's also the first story with the uh, the Jedi Kakrook, who is one of my favorite uh, prequel-era Jedi uh, from the comics. So he, he gets a lot to do um, throughout the Clone Wars comic series, the, the original Clone Wars comic series that came out in the early 2000s. And so this is the first appearance of him when he was a Padawan. So um, his master gets killed, but uh, saving his life. So – but yeah, the, the the iconic moment of the uh, the assault on the Jedi Temple um, is is really kind of my, my favorite, my most memorable moment from that comic series. Um, so it, it's it's very interesting.
4: Yeah, I can't say anything about it because I don't know it, that story. So thanks for sharing yeah. it. <laughs> that sounds really great.
3: It it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool sh- series. So
4: yeah, awesome.
3: Do you know? Yeah, it, when it, that
4: it, it, when did those come out? Do you remember?
3: Um, It was – I want to say it was about 2000. I'll double check. I've got the the graphic novel right here. Uh, 2000 and 2001. Okay. So yeah. Between –
4: Yeah, episodes one and –
3: And episode two. Yeah. So yeah. That's a a fun one. I enjoyed it. Um, Well, what's your second story? Well, mine – yeah, my
4: second story, uh, a little bit more of a – kind of general thing, it's not a specific moment. Kind of specific, but it's the showdown between Darth Kitus and Jana Solo. Um oh. which finally comes to fruition in the final book of the Legacy of the Force series, um the book Invincible which came out on May 13th, 2008. I just quickly looked that up. <laughs> I realized that this might just be Honestly, I feel like this could be helpful information because it's it tells us w- where the Star Wars movies were at that point, too, right? How much yeah. story did they have to work off of? Well, by two thousand eight, they had the entire six part saga of you know the George Lucas saga um, to, to work with. And Legacy of the Force was the series that came out after New Jedi Order, which is, I believe, it's nine books as opposed to nineteen. <laughs> um, yes. Still a bit bloated, though. I, I remember I read the first two hard copy, and then I actually listened to the rest on audiobook um, back when I was in my first year of grad school. Um, and I really enjoyed them. I felt like, again, it was a nine part series that could have easily been like four, maybe five books because each book was a bit bloated. Um, but it was this really great story ultimately about Jason Solo falling to the dark side and taking the name Darth Kitus. Um, and if I remember correctly, and you might remember this, Jason, um, I want to say that either like StarWars.com or Star Wars Insider did a poll where fans got to pick the name of Jason Solo's Sith alias. So you got to vote on what his name was going
3: to be. They Yeah, they did. I don't remember who it was. Uh, I think it was StarWars.com did it. Okay. Uh, I think it was StarWars.com ran the poll. Yeah. Um, and they had like four options or something like that. And Kytus was the one that won. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, that was that was pretty cool. We got to be involved in that. Right, Nine Book series ended up being sort of the the norm um, after The Last Jedi. There was at least two or three Nine Book series that happened after – not The Last Jedi, excuse me – the the New Jedi Order series. Uh, There was at least two or three Nine Book series that happened after that. There was just two.
4: There was Legacy of the Force, which is what this was, and then there was one after that, which I think was um, Fall of the Jedi or something. I can't remember what that series was called.
3: I don't remember Shoot. either.
4: Yeah, people are <laughs> yelling at us right now. Sorry, we can't hear you. Um, like half of it. Um, yeah. Where's Mark Hurlman when you need
3: him? Um, right, right.
4: Um, <laughs> but yeah, that the one after the, Legacy of the Force was also a nine-part series.
3: Yeah, there was like a three-book like Swarm trilogy that was supposed to bridge the two, I think. That's what I'm thinking. Yes,
4: of. the Swarm – yeah, the, the Dark Nest trilogy, which was obviously so, just yeah. a trilogy. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm trying to see if I can find it really quick. I can't find the name of the, the series that came after it. With a quick look. But anyway, this story, um, you know, it, 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 it all leads to this pinnacle, right? Like within the Legacy of the Force series, we do have a major death of a major Legends character. Um, part of his journey to Darth Kitus is Jason kills his aunt, Mara Jade, um, yeah. right? Which was obviously a very beloved character in the old Legends canon. So um, Kitus kills her, and, you know, which um, devastates Luke, right? Like Luke is really thrown through a loop.
3: She's the only one who can see what he's becoming at this point, too.
4: Right. And something that's really interesting, though, is there's a great moment in the middle of the series where um, he's killed Mara Jade and he also captures um, Ben Skywalker, Luke's son. And what's interesting is when the series begins, Ben is also Jason's apprentice. Yeah, Um, And I think he tortures he tortures Ben um, and Luke comes to rescue him and Luke. Basically, like kicks the crap out of Kylo because Luke is far more powerful. Yeah. But ultimately, Luke is still so broken up about Mara Jade, and I—I feel like this is actually like this is a great story point used in that old Legends canon of how do you defeat Luke Skywalker? Well, if he's if he's so powerful, how do you beat him? You break his heart, ultimately, right? You have to break his spirit, and that's exactly what happens in the sequel trilogy, right? How do you take Luke out of the figure? Snoke can't take him on. Ben's not strong enough to defeat him, so you you know you you break his spirit by con, you know converting Ben Solo to Kylo Ren. Yeah, um, but in this particular story, Kytus – you know, Jason Solo chooses to become Darth Kytus because he ultimately thinks that it's the right thing to do. That the, once again, the alliance, the government is is totally fractured. There's a civil war brewing, um, so. Jason assumes the mantle of Darth Kytus to ult- – he thinks he's doing the right thing, right? Like all yeah. villains think – no villain thinks they're the villain, um, right? Except so- maybe Palpatine. Except maybe Palpatine, yeah. <laughs> um, but so you have Kitus like uh, kind of just taking this authoritarian role. And I remember it's really neat because they do contrast a lot of his his journey with Anakin's, right, from the yeah. prequels. And he's also ultimately says like, I'm not like Anakin. I'm not doing this – out of like some sort of love. I'm doing this because the galaxy needs it. Um, and ultimately, Leia
3: kind of is like, yeah, uh-huh. Sure, bud."
4: right. So. <laughs> and the only person apparently that's capable of taking him down is Jaina Solo, who's also known as the sword of the Jedi. And that was supposed to be the, the, uh, there was supposed to be a series about her called Sword of the Jedi right before legends got canceled by the Disney acquisition. Um, but what's really cool is even in Jaina is, Trained specifically to fight against him, by she even gets some training from Boba Fett, if I remember correctly, which is really fascinating. Um, yeah, and Boba Fett is very much a clone in the book, right? Like that's that's part of the canon at that time.
3: Um, but what's so I neat is again, it's story in that series is he's trying to combat some of the the degeneration that his clone DNA is yeah, experiencing,
4: right? And that this, which is in the second book of that series called Bloodline. Interesting enough, because that's wow. obviously a new canon book. Um, But anyway, you know, Jaina ultimately comes to face down Kytus. I don't remember the intricacies of the story. Obviously, she wins um, and she has to kill her own brother. But again, it's just kind of this epic scale battle again. You know, the grandchildren of Anakin battle it out with the fate of the galaxy kind of hanging in the balance. Um, And I feel like that's a that's a trope they bring into the sequels with the whole idea of Kylo and Rey being a dyad. Right They're their fates are so intertwined that it's also going to result in the fate of the galaxy. And I feel like that was a great minor story point kind of lifted from this legacy of the force. Whether it was intentional or not doesn't really matter, I don't think. But it was like a great story where, you know, again, rather than just having the same old story, they, they told another fall story, tried to give a different spin with Kydus as opposed to Anakin's. And, you know, Jaina, his own sister, is the one that has to ultimately
3: defeat him. And just and let's remember, folks. Not only is he, not only are they brother and sister; they are twins. Yeah, they are twins, which makes the makes this even worse or better. Um, you know, uh, which goes even further to the whole dyad connection in uh, Rise of Skywalker. If the you know the Kylo and, and Ray aren't necessarily twins, but you know they're so intertwined. And con- through the course, that it's almost like the connection that Jaina and jason exhibited in uh, the old expanded universe
4: yeah yeah my nighttime reading lately so every night when i go to bed i have like a bedside book and i found that it's best to do just fun books so i've actually rereading the young jedi knight series i'm, I'm on book three now um nice. they're they're ridiculous, um, in my opinion. They're not great, but they're so fun that I'm loving them. They're like perfect before bed reading. So, nice. Um, nice. But anyway, um, what's your next moment?
3: My next moment. Um, this is a this book is a book that has mixed reviews. Um, it is the approaching storm um, oh. that takes place right before Episode Attack two. of the Clones. Yeah. It is the border dispute on Anseon. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um and, and it's a it's sort of a convoluted little story because uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan team up with Luminara and Beresophie, uh to go to Ancyon, and they have to bring uh, a sort of consensus between the nomadic tribes of Ancyon in order to keep them from joining the Separatists, uh, whereas the official government uh, – someone in the official government is trying to join the Separatists. So there's a little bit of that intrigue going on but most of it is you know how do we bring all these different disparate nomadic people groups together um, and and there's various different things that end up happening they get kidnapped at one point and it, it, it's it gets there's a hut connection somewhere uh, but my most memorable moment of this has nothing to do with any of the combat or the intrigue it happens when they come across one of the tribes Um, And it's actually one of the more peaceful tribes that they end up encountering. I don't think they have to do any sort of combat. But the thing is, is they are welcomed in as guests. And the thing with this tribe is that the guests have to provide the entertainment at the welcome feast. And so the Jedi are going, oh, okay, well, we'll figure this out. Um, And the most memorable scene... In the entire book, for me, that, that still sticks mm-hmm. with me is the scene of these four Jedi doing different things to entertain the tribe and and and, and that sort of thing. And um, Barris, I believe, starts off with um, just a, a bunch of martial moves with her lightsaber, and uh, you know she does a martial demonstration with uh, the saber and and non-saber combat and things like that. And they're all very impressed. Um, <laughs> Obi Wan tells a story he becomes a storyteller and he he tells this grand story that weaves up and down and he it talks about you know everyone being you know he he's got everyone and they just rise and fall with the the tragedy and the climax that he's describing and everything like that Anakin sings a song his mother sang to him it's sort of like a lullaby and he closes his eyes he doesn't even look at anybody when he does it um but he sings a song that his mother would sing to him to go to sleep. And when he's done, he just walks off the performance area and sits back down. Um, And then Luminara ends it by, by doing this, this really intricate and very beautiful thing with the force. She ends up, they're out in the middle of nowhere. And so there's sand uh, is the performance area. There is a, a, an area of sand. And so she picks up a handful of sand and lets it fall from her fingers. And then she picks it up again and then people start realizing that it's blowing against the wind. And she's using pushing the sand against the wind with the force. And then she levitates and starts turning and rotating and spinning while pulling streamers of sand up that whirl and twirl around her and things like that before she finally sets back down and it all falls around to her. And it's a really kind of cool sequence to just see the different individual moments that the Jedi – the, each of these Jedi bring when they are supposed to be, like, the Jedi Order. But they're also individuals. So it's a really unique and fascinating look at things that um, gets into the, the different characters and, and that sort of thing. And it actually causes the two teams to come together. Because Anakin and Barriss, they don't, like, hate each other, but they kind of butt heads a little bit at yeah. first. Um, she thinks he's way too, you know, out there and brash and he thinks she's too by the book. Um and uh, Obi-Wan and, and Luminara are professional uh, about the whole thing, um but Anakin and Barriss kind of clash a little bit, but after this moment which takes place somewhere in the middle of the book, they the whole group kind of comes together to really work well um after it if i recall correctly but yeah it's that moment that that entertainment the the different things that each of the jedi do is the most memorable moment of that entire book for me and i found it really really fascinating
4: i do remember that book um again just in a very general context i do remember reading it and i just looked it up it came out in early 2002 so it did did come out before attack of the clones as well it did um I'm almost positive. I didn't read it till after attack of
3: the clones, but I didn't uh, either. there. Yeah, yeah.
4: Um, and I remember you've talked about this moment before and, past shows. Um, and honestly, I never remember it until you bring it up and it is, it's just so great. Like that, Anakin sings a song. It almost mm-hmm. seems out of character for him. Um, but yeah. it's just, but it's- yeah, like you said, it's just like this great moment where we really get to see the kind of individualized aspects of these very prominent Jedi.
3: Yeah. And the funny thing is Anakin's stuff is told from Obi Wan's point of view. When Anakin goes up, it's mm. it's told from Obi Wan. And so he's Obi Wan is wondering what Anakin's gonna do. Uh, because Barris has already done the Marshall stuff. Yeah. And that's Anakin's forte. Um, and so he's wondering what Anakin does, and Anakin goes up, he's nervous, he doesn't want to do this, but he's forced to. Um, so he goes up and he goes up, closes his eyes, and sings this lullaby. And it's it's something that, you know, not only does it does it touch the crowd there, but it touches Obi-Wan. Mm. So, um, and, and he lets Anakin have the, the moment afterwards to just sort of quietly go sit back down and, and kind of hide away, um, afterwards. But yeah, he, he, he gives Anakin that space. But it does, it, it does sort of touch Obi-Wan a little bit too. So it's really kind of cool. It's really cool.
4: Yeah. No, that's great. Honestly, it, it always makes me think of, um, the story, uh, one of the early episodes of Clone Wars, Trespass, which is one of my favorite episodes in Clone Wars, uh. when Obi-Wan and Anakin are invited into um, into the tent of the, uh, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the Talls. The, yeah. the Talls welcome them in, and Anakin, weirdly enough, Obi-Wan's trying to communicate with them, and Anakin draws a picture. Anakin yeah. grabs a piece of like wood or something and carves a picture into it to show the leader of the talls. He just shows two people holding hands and, to indicate peace and yeah. I was like, "This is such a beautiful, tender moment for Anakin, and it always makes me think of this moment from approaching storm um, that you that you love so much
3: yeah, it, it's funny because Anakin is such like a, a big, overwhelming, heroic force. Um, in the clone wars and and that whole era you you forget how young he still is yeah um he 's still a kid in many ways uh just forced to to do things beyond his age um, but yeah that 's that 's definitely something that I always will remember from the approaching storm so,
4: yeah anyway that
3: 's my that 's my second story
4: that 's great I love it um well, my next story uh comes from what probably still continues to be my favorite legends story, even though it's full of flaws, um, the 1996 seminal work Shadows of the Empire. <laughs> and it's specifically the element of Sheezer versus Darth Vader. Um, I, I, I love the concept of Vader going up against a very different kind of adversary. Um, right. And we have to see, we see a very different side of Darth Vader so right this book came out in 96 so obviously all you have to work with are the original three movies um I mean Shadows of the Empire I and mean, we did a episode cheaper a couple years ago I did it with my buddy Greg and Joe Hogan um I want to say we did that in 20 2006 because yeah that was the 20-year anniversary of Shadows of the Empire um or no did or 2016 nope. excuse me that's the 20th anniversary yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um
3: like,
4: so, was, uh, yeah early.
3: More recent than that, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
4: Um, But no, it's. I mean, right. I I mean, I just love Shadows the Empire. I literally was before the episode that we're recording. I finally got my vinyl record of it. In the, I I love that soundtrack. So I I listened through the whole soundtrack while I was making my notes for tonight. Um, But anyway, to the element of Vader and Sheezer, Sheezer is a very different kind of villain, Um, and it's neat that you know obviously he's a failing. And they can, and he's the the Vigo of the Black Sun Syndicate. So it's really cool, like getting to see a really uh, specific character in the underworld of Star Wars, who's a crime boss besides Jabba. And he's he couldn't be more different from Jabba. He's you know he's attractive. He's interested in art and the finer things in the galaxy, um, mm-hmm. and he is super conniving and cunning and. Right, this is the adversary Vader has to fight, and it's so frustrating for Vader in the story because all he wants to do is just go snap his neck, and he easily could. But Sheezer has the ear of the Emperor, and the Emperor likes Sheezer and is enjoying this little, you know, boyhood squabble for daddy's attention. Right? You ultimately have Sheezer and Vader battling for the Emperor's attention throughout the story, and you know we get some.
3: Hello and uh, Hux.
4: yeah, exactly, yeah, um, so you get this you know you get this this great rivalry between the two of them, and you know Shadows of the Empire has a couple of great scenes where we do see Sheezer like physically at- being attacked, and like he 's obviously a great warrior, but he would still not stand a chance against Darth Vader, and we know mm-hmm. that, and what 's really neat is is. As much as, like, I remember even as a kid and even still, like, reading the story, it's like, oh, I'd love to see if they fought each other. But it's like, well, you know where that's going to go. Sheaser doesn't have the force. Like, he'd get punished by Vader. Um, So it's really cool that they set up a different kind of fight for Darth Vader. And honestly, it kind of makes me think of, like, Batman in the Dark Knight having to fight the Joker, right? The Joker can't fight Batman. He's not going to win that physical fight. So he fights him on a more psychological, um, you know kind of level and i I feel like that's kind of the element played out between Sheezer and vader as they're kind of matching cunning and wit and you do see that vader while he is he much rather pick up his lightsaber or use the force to choke somebody out he is kind of a brilliant uh uh, cunning warrior in different ways too um and his ability to ultimately finally silence Sheezer at the end of of the story is just incredible but um that's one, that's another one for me.
3: Nice. Yeah. I, it has been so long since I've read, um, read that, that I, I, just, I don't remember very much of it. Um, so, but I'm glad you enjoyed it. I did get the soundtrack because yes. Carl was talking about it, uh, during our, our music may or our musical mayhem that we did. Uh, so I did get the soundtrack, uh, and I've enjoyed that definitely a lot. So I'm glad you got your vinyl cause that's awesome. um, I don't have much to add, though, other than I, – I, I do remember Xizor and Vader kind of being this sort of antagonistic presence and Vader being very frustrated that he couldn't just go after Xizor, um directly because Xizor had favor with the yeah. Emperor. Um, and Xizor clinging to that – but trying to be very careful not to push too much on in Vader while still antagonizing him. Right. You know, yeah. Just antagonizing him just enough so that he stayed mad but didn't actually act. Um, and then mm-hmm. Vader just was like, "Yeah, I don't have to save you this time if I remember correctly, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so,
4: yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> so. Um, well, Vader basically makes a very clear case that Sheezer was responsible for trying to assassinate Luke Skywalker. Uh, um, yes. And the emperor is still interested in Luke. So basically he knows that the emperor might be a little pissed that he, cause he doesn't consult the emperor first. So he's like, ah, he'll probably be a little mad at me, but I have the clear evidence. He presents it to Caesar and then has the executor fire and destroy him on his skyhook, which is awesome. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yep. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, my, my next story, uh, we're going to go back to the clone wars. Um, the Clone Wars micro-series, ladies Ooh. and gentlemen. Um, and I don't know if this is my... This is not my favorite story from the micro-series, but it is one of the most memorable. Um, and I like it because it's sort of told in this kind of legendary way as well. It, it does have to do deal with your least favorite Jedi, though, Carl. So... Um,
4: Mace Windu.
3: Mace Windu, yes. Ugh, if you can it's,
4: even call him a Jedi. <laughs>
3: <laughs> he is. Sure. Um, but it is uh, Mace Windu on Dantooine taking out basically an entire droid army by himself. Um, and it's this is essentially Genndy Tartakovsky did uh, Samurai Jack before he did the micro series. And this is basically their... Uh, their chance to just do a bunch of Samurai Jack action sequences with Star Wars uh, stuff. Because there's no dialogue. This story takes place across uh, two episodes, and the episodes are like three to five minutes long. Um, It was in the second season. It premiered in March of 2004, so this is between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. Um, And these two episodes have absolutely no dialogue whatsoever. They are two completely silent episodes. Uh, And the really thing, really cool thing about this story that I like, um, I don't, you know, I do like the, just the image of a Jedi just wrecking havoc on an entire droid army. I, I I find that fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, what I love about this story is that it's bookended by this kid who watches the entire battle go down um, he runs up to the top of a hill and he sees everything happen and sees Mace Windu destroy the army and all this stuff. And it ends with Mace Windu landing up on top of the hill after everything's said and done. And the kid gives him his canteen of water. And he takes a drink, gives the kid a smile, and, and heads off. Um, and I remember they named the kid. I can't remember his name. Um, but the story was is that he... I believe it was told in Insider. Um, the story was that this kid became a uh, an, an artist, and he would do um, during the dark times. He would do like graffiti and street art of Jedi uh, and stuff, just you know, trying to to resist the you know the Empire and. Uh, resist the the narrative that the Jedi were all evil and stuff and he he would do this you know wherever he went um, he got put on a, a you know, a bad list uh, because of it um, but just he was inspired by this this moment and, and all this and be, became sort of a uh, an underground resistor uh, and a, you know on the jedi's behalf during the dark times um, was the story. That I I believe like I said I believe it was done in uh, Insider. They had a little blurb where they they expanded his his story. But yeah, I just like the story and it sort of like encapsulates you know the the action and the the heroism that the micro series tries to get across. So I, I just like it and it's uh, chapters twelve and thirteen of the micro series. If anybody's curious, but. Yeah.
4: Nice. Yeah, uh, I mean the Tarakoski series is it holds a place in so many Star Wars fans hearts and I remember I, I didn't watch it till after it was pretty much complete cuz I remember buying the DVDs and watching them and I really liked them. Really mm-hmm. liked the animation style and like you said it they're kind of larger than life stories, right? Like they're not meant to be like deep you know in in depth stories. It's just kind of Jedi superheroes during the Clone Wars. Right. Like the scene of Yoda riding on the some horse like thing and just like force pushing like a thousand battle droids. Right. Yeah. Like it's 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 basically hyperbole really. Right. Like it's almost like these yeah. are the stories of the Jedi that we always thought about and they're just giving them to us literally in a lot of ways.
3: Well, yeah. And it's done in an over exaggerated, you know, style to to kind of be those legends, you know, uh, and it's just it's clearly designed to be like that, you know, Um until it gets like season three, when they actually create a full story for um, Anakin and, and the build up to the beginning of Revenge of the Sith, um, but yeah, the there was some really good stuff that they, they had. The first two seasons were sort of anthology uh, with a, a an overall kind of little arc for Anakin, and, you know, versus Asajj and things like that. But um, the third season was a direct tie in, lead into. Revenge of the Sith that came out like March and April before the movie hit theaters. So,
4: right. Yeah. Nice. No, that's as we're, as we're sharing these stories, Jason, it's just becoming apparent to me how, like how fascinating it is though. Like you can see the separation of where we grew up as star Wars fans, right? Like the stories you're mentioning are things that I remember, but they weren't the ones that I grew up with. And the, and like, right. The ones I grew up with, they might be things you remember, but, you know, especially as my 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 list kind of comes to the end here uh, in the next few moments. But it, it very much shows that I was a, a Star Wars fan who grew up in the mid 90s. <laughs> you know what I mean? And those are the yeah. stories that really like uh, meant a lot to me. Um, and those are the characters I continue to follow and, and vice versa for you. You are a product of the prequel era. And those are the stories even outside the movies that really stuck with you. So I I love, I love how this is just going, you know, and I'm just, it has me thinking about everybody who's listening right now, you know, what stories that are bouncing around their heads is probably so indicative of where their fandom started. Um, Yeah. So, but anyway, my next point uh, comes from a very famous story from the old star Wars legends. It is a comic series, dark empire, um, which was published between 91 and 92. Um, again, this was a series actually read well after it was published. Um, probably a good five to six years after it was published. I finally sat down and read the whole thing. Um, and they even did a radio drama of dark empire. Uh, they even got Billy D to do Lando for it. (laughs) Um, I remember that. Yeah. So I actually have it on CD and it's, it's not great, but it's fun. Um, you can find it on YouTube that I grabbed a clip at the top of the episode from it. Um, but, uh, you know, you and I were talking, Jason, before we started hey, recording about how um, we kind of liked the story, but the art of the comic book was just not for us. And I've heard a lot yeah. of people have that complaint. Like, I really like the story of Dark Empire, as I'm about to talk about. Um, but the art from the comic was never my favorite. I really don't care for the the, the color choices and the the
3: drawing choices. Yeah, um, it's supposed to be edgy early 90s. Yeah, stuff. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Didn't I'm, quite work for right. Me.
4: Yeah, n- me neither. Um, but be that as it may, it has one of the most iconic uh, moments in all of Star Wars legends, which is when Luke turns to the dark side. Yeah, Luke chooses to join the cloned Emperor, a story point very much used in Rise of Skywalker, which mm-hmm. honestly. I'm liking it more and more as time goes on. I know there's a lot of people that hate it and that's totally valid. I hated it. The first view. And I was like, this is ridiculous, but I've really come to like it. Um, <laughs> and right. So the clip that I played at the top of the episode, it's that moment when Luke chooses to join the emperor. And ultimately he's doing this because he says the only way to really understand the dark side and to overcome the dark side is to immerse yourself in it. um, and that's kind of what Luke makes that decision to do is, and this is a story point that in much of the mid nineties um, novels that come out, there's a lot of times where Luke even mentions, like even I fell to the dark side and he talks about how he pulled himself out. Um, so it's this really interesting story point that obviously, so the, the author of the story, Tom Veitch or Tom Veit, I don't know how you pronounce it. Um, he obviously was playing with the idea of what would happen if the emperor came back and offered Luke, his hand would he take it, and what would it be like if Luke did? And but how do you make that a believable story? Because Luke was always the good guy, right? He's the true blue hero of the of the Star Wars saga. So, right, they kind of set up the story point of Luke is someone uh, at this point in the story, in the legend story. There's still no Jedi Academy, there's no Jedi Temple. Luke is still searching the galaxy to understand the Force, and he experiences a tremendous mystery of the dark side, and he he honestly thinks that the. The best way to fully understand it is to embrace it, to try it, right? To get that experiential knowledge of it. Um, And he joins the dark side ultimately with a good intention of understanding it better so that he can better conquer it in himself and outside of himself, right? In the galaxy at large. So it's a noble quest. But what's so neat is kind of Yoda's prediction to him on Dagobah comes true. If once you start down the dark path, forever will it dominate your destiny. And that's ultimately what happens to Luke in the story of Dark Empire is he really does he's I mean he's trying to figure out a way to still stay in the light but he's falling deeper and deeper into the dark and ultimately what brings him back what fully brings him back is the love of Leia. So it's kind of a similar twist this is what happened with Return of the Jedi. Um, but I like it even just it's always stuck with me because it's like this is really neat that Luke of course, Luke found ultimate balance in himself because he faced the darkness and overcame it in a way that even Anakin didn't. Um, But it also gives us the great story point of the fact that Leia, Leia's love is also redemptive, just like Luke's love was redemptive for Anakin. Um, Right. And so dark empire also has a very, uh, honestly, I forgot about this until I listened to the radio drama about two years ago. Luke force projects in dark empire it's the first time it's ever done in the old legends canon. So Luke is on a vessel seemingly, seemingly escaping with Leia and Han, and then he vanishes and he's still there. I don't remember the name of the planet or whatever, but, uh, he force projects. So again, uh, something Ryan Johnson used in last Jedi. So it's just really neat that there were story elements from dark empire that were obviously picked up in the sequels. You know, the force projection as well as a cloned emperor, um, And I was telling you this, Jason, before we hit record, too. I'm currently reading Darth Plagueis in my Star Wars book group. I read half the book this morning. It's so fun. And there's so much stuff in there. And while that's also a legend story, um, there's a lot of great stuff in there that really makes me like the decision of the Emperor being back in Rise of Skywalker even more. Because it's like, of course, he was trying all sorts of creepy, magical, cloning things. Oh yeah. So, um, but yeah. So, that's 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 my next one. Is just the the fact that Luke goes to the dark side.
3: That was something that you know. Even though I, in general, I like the story of Dark Empire. I think I like Dark Empire two better. Um, I don't remember. It's been so long since I've read those uh, or listened to the audio dramas. um, Like decade plus since I've, I've I've entertained that story. Um, but I always thought it was very strange that Luke went over to the dark side. Uh, I, I wasn't quite sure about it. It it is an interesting thing that in a, in a certain point of view, he's the only one that we know of that goes to the dark side and comes back voluntarily. Um, you know, in, in, in some sense from a certain point of view, but, um, it was just something that was very strange to me. I always thought it was weird that Luke went to the dark side, but it is definitely an iconic moment, an iconic thing because the the rebellion kind of just panics for a bit They're like what how this is not good this is not good at all and his friends scramble to try and figure out what to do about it and um and it is just sort of weird that you know he, he's like well i guess i could try it just to understand it um, yeah <laughs> so um but it is, it's definitely the most unique turn to the dark side that I, I recall um, because he's just like, well, I, I'm, I need to understand, so I know how to defeat it, so sure, I'll go to the dark side. So <laughs> it's so very clinical, which I think is one thing that I – I think that's one reason why I wasn't so sure about it because Luke is not a clinical person. He's very much you know emotions on the surface – um carrying kind of a guy um that whole farm boy aspect so it was just one of those things where i think at the time i was like ah, i don't know if i like this but it is definitely iconic and memorable and i'm glad you enjoy it it's, yeah. it's just one of those things i it was always one of those, it didn't quite make sense to me sure. um but it it had repercussions all throughout the um the expanded universe after that in the comics and in the novels, it was mentioned and referenced and, uh, you know, occasionally somebody would, you know, even up until, you know, the, um, the new Jedi order era, people would, would sort of like be like, Hey, didn't you do the dark side thing once, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, if I recall correctly, but yeah, it, it it was a big moment and it, it lasted and it had ripples for a while. Um, but yeah, good pick. Thank you. Good pick. Yeah. Um, I actually realized that this one should have been earlier if I was sticking in chronological. But um, it's all right. I'm going to go to, to uh, the Plagueis novel and I'm going to um, pick up on – this is going to be at the end of your book, Carl. Sorry. It, Jason. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But um, So I, I won't be too descriptive, but it's the moment where Palpatine takes out Plagueis. Um, mm,
4: I mean, I know that that happens.
3: <laughs> yeah. Uh, the interesting thing, the most interesting thing I find out about the book is that Plagueis is still around during the Phantom Menace, according to the book. Um, and it is the night that... That he is nominated Supreme Chancellor. That he takes out his master. It is the night that he is nominated to, you know, to be up for the vote. Um, Queen Amidala and the Jedi leave Coruscant, and Palpatine, you know, celebrating his presumed victory. And uh, the vote goes back to see Pal- uh, Plagueis, who is very proud and very happy because their plan is coming together. And he gets him, you know, drunk because of the celebrating and it is in his sleep where Palpatine just completely electrifies him to death. Um, And there's a big moment that happens, you know, after the death of Plagueis that really kind of gives Sidious a pause. And I won't go into that because I want Carl to experience that um, because it's a really interesting, really kind of fascinating twist to it all um but i way, do love honestly
4: i'm like half listening to you because i don't really want to know all the
3: details <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. that's perfect um but you know it, it is just one of the, the the great moments because you know we get in revenge of the sith you know the tragedy of darth plague is the wise you know and we actually get to see the moment where he kills his master in this and it is really a a fascinating and in and uh intriguing moment um, just getting into Palpatine's psyche and all that. And the, the aftermath of it uh, is something that is almost more interesting than the actual murder itself. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's a really, really, uh, I think it's a very good and satisfying buildup to that moment uh, throughout the book um, and there's a lot of things that kind of pay off in that moment uh, if you've been reading along I, I need I think I, I, I got it on audiobook so I need to go back and re-listen to it uh, I don't remember details all the details specifically but he uh, he gets his moment and it's almost undercut as it as it comes to culmination and but Palpatine rises above it and, and is able to take take out his master. So it's a pretty epic moment in my opinion and I can't wait for you to get there, Carl.
4: Yeah, I'm glad I was only half listening to you because honestly I didn't pick up most of what you said. So I'm not going to comment because I wasn't really listening. But I'm excited to read the details probably yeah. by, in the next couple of days. <laughs>
3: yeah. And I want to hear what you think about it when yeah. you get there.
4: Yeah, of course. Um, cool. Yeah. Well, well, since I have nothing to say about it, because uh, I'm not there yet, um, right? Uh, so my last my last thing I want to mention is is a very general kind of big thing, um, but it's ultimately the it's the Jedi Academy trilogy that Kevin J. Anderson wrote, um, and it's basically the story of Luke forming the Jedi Academy and starting starting a new Jedi Order. Um, I was just looking this up as you were talking because I didn't feel rude researching things as you were talking about story points I didn't know yet. <laughs> um, that entire trilogy came out in 1994, and they all three books came out a few months apart. So the first one was in um, February, and then you had one in July, and then you had one in October, which is just wild to me. Obviously, he probably wrote them all at once, and then they just staggered their release dates.
3: Yeah. Um,
4: but growing up, that was my f- that was my favorite trilogy of all of the Star Wars uh, canon up through basically the New Jedi Order series. Like that was forever my favorite. Series, um, and ultimately, well, it was weirdly twofold. So, in the first book, Jedi Search, you obviously do have Luke proposing to the Galactic Senate um, of the New Republic. You know, he wants to get their blessing to to create a new Jedi Order. Um, but you also have Han Solo and Chewie being um, c- captured and imprisoned in the Spice Mines of Kessel. Han gets tortured in the first book again. <laughs> um shocking um and uh it's also the introduction of admiral dalla um and you know it was it was this great series and ultimately to me it led it, it, it laid the foundation of grandmaster luke Skywalker right um by the legacy of the force and i think even in the J- new jedi Order series he's referred to as Grandmaster luke Skywalker and then you kind of retroactively started to hear how Yoda was grandmaster of the old Republic, right? Some of those books are referring to Yoda as grandmaster. So there was only really two grandmasters in the legends canon, which was Yoda and Luke Skywalker. Um, But all of that mythology of Luke Skywalker in the legends canon, to me, was really the foundation of it was laid with that Jedi Academy trilogy. Um, And Luke uh, finally, because obviously I, I think it takes place eight years after return of the Jedi. Um, I'd have to I'd have to double check, but it's something around that time frame. Um, but obviously, Luke doesn't do it right away, right? It's it's also not right after Return of the Jedi. He starts a Jedi uh, temple, but what's interesting is, uh, especially in that first book, Jedi Search, Luke literally has like some sort of device he found that the old, the Jedi of the Old Republic used to use to track down Force sensitives. And, you know, kind of reading it through the lens of Phantom Menace, it was obviously something that could read Medichlorians. Um, and Luke goes around the galaxy searching for, you know, force-sensitive people to bring into his academy on Yavin 4. Um, and I thought it was really cool that it was put on Yavin 4. It was kind of, it was the heart of the first re- Rebellion's victory against the the Empire. And now Luke's going to use that that place that sparked a galaxy to spark a new Jedi Order. I thought that was a kind of neat, um, kind of poetic statement. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there are so many intricacies of that story. I don't really remember. Honestly, Jason, this was one of those books that I started um, about a month ago. Cause I was like, I think I'm going to reread this trilogy. And I got about four chapters in and I was just like, I can't do this. <laughs> like it just, it doesn't work <laughs> for me anymore. And again, like as I put it back on the shelf, that's when it kind of dawned on me. Is like, I still love what this st- series represents for me though. Like, I don't care if I can't really reread it and love it. I still love the heart of it, which is the story about Luke's determination to start up a new Jedi order. And what's so fascinating, too, is Luke is starting something with so little at his disposal. Luke knew so little. I mean, he got a little bit of instruction from Obi-Wan and Yoda. He doesn't get a ton of Jedi training himself and yet has the burden of restarting the Jedi order. Um And right, like I said, like in Jedi Search, he proposes to the government to support him in his quest to start the new Jedi because he says, ultimately, you're going to need us. Like as you expand the new Republic, you're going to need Jedi to help keep the peace like in the days of old. And interestingly enough, that's also what leads to the downfall of Luke's Jedi order for a long time is once again, probably shouldn't have aligned it with the government. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that was the lesson of the prequels. And it's neat that like the later books give us that right when when this jedi academy trilogy came out in 94 there were no prequels so you know they're also putting pieces together of what they want um but what's fascinating is is the book the later series came out in light of the prequels it shows how even luke's jedi fall short because they kind of replicated some of the mistakes of the old jedi which was aligning themselves with the republic um but yeah, that that will forever be my favorite story from the Legends canon. It is just Luke's quest to start the Jedi Order, and honestly, Jason, this is the one story I would give anything for Disney to give us. Whether it's in a comic, I don't really want it in a comic because I just don't love comic books. I would I would honestly prefer it as an animated series. I would love the story of Luke forming his Jedi Temple, the story of ben, young Ben Solo being trained, and all the other students. If not a animated series, then definitely a. Uh, Uh, like a series of novels I think would be fascinating. Um, And I bet you Mark Hamill would come back if they did an animated series to voice him. Um, Oh, undoubtedly. But uh, yeah. So like that was always my, that is forever my favorite story from legends canon. It's like, Oh, this is, this is still a story ripe for telling in the new era and I'd love to hear it. Hopefully we get it. (laughs) I mean, we got, we got a tiny glimpse of it in the rise of Kylo Ren comic series. Um, But I would love, I would love the fruition of that. Um, Because I think ultimately that's why for folks that still really don't care for Last Jedi, I think they just they don't like the idea that Luke was like it almost makes it seem like Luke was just a failure. But, you know, he obviously succeeded in starting a new Jedi order. It just imploded. So I think it I think it'd be really helpful to see the success of Luke in doing that. And ultimately it comes apart because his heart gets broken. Um, So but yeah, all that said. That is my favorite part of the the expanded universe story is is Luke's creation of the Jedi Academy.
3: That's awesome. No, I, I and I I I too would love to get that story. That is definitely one of the things I would you know between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens that I think is uh, necessary that we get at some point. Is is what does Luke do? How does he start? You know this academy? You know. How is he training Jedi? how does he find these these people um, that sort of thing that is that is an essential story that I would love to get told in the new canon and it, it is a very interesting thing um, my the the stuff I remember most from his journey in that uh, is uh, getting started up with that is uh, in the i believe it was in the book I jedi that's mm-hmm. first person perspective from Corin Horn who yep. ends up becoming one of i believe is one of the initial like 12 that he takes in um as students or something like that um and Corinne is you know not an uh, an overwhelmingly gifted student but ends up becoming a uh an influential jedi and character uh further along in the uh expanded universe um but yeah i do remember a lot of the early stuff. That's that's sort of my introduction to a lot of the early Jedi training um, in the new the new temple that he he creates uh, is from that book. So um,
4: yeah. Well, in the Young Jedi Knight series that I'm rereading right now is kind of it, it. It's it's kind of right after the Jedi Academy trilogy. So, but like that era of the expanded universe canon was always my favorite.
3: Yeah. So, well, that's cool. Yeah. Last thing I want to mention um, is sort of an overview, not necessarily of, a, of an era or or a story point per, per se, but a character. Um, and this is my one of my favorite characters in the entire expanded universe canon. Um, is a is a rather distinguished man by the name of Gilad Palion. I love this guy. He, a uh, long-time officer in the Republic, then the Empire. Um, his career spanned all the way till he became uh, a, an admiral uh, in the uh, New Republic fleet. Um, but his rise to fame, his claim to fame in the expanded universe, uh, is that he started out um, and was introduced as the... Thrawn's right hand man in the Thrawn trilogy he was, uh, he was forced to take command of the Star Destroyer Chimera at the Battle of Endor um, and he issued the retreat order and fled um, and Thrawn when he regathered the various warlords to, to form a you know, a cohesive empire again uh, chose the Chimera as his flagship and therefore Palion became his, his right hand And so he basically got to try and study and and learn under Thrawn and some of his tactics and things like that. But he was always a very reasonable and well thought out character. uh, So much so that later on after uh, Admiral Dalla uh, had her failed uh, attempt at bringing the Empire uh, back or or, or, you know, and and things like that. um, He ends up becoming the leader of the Imperial Remnant and forges a peace alliance with Leia, you know, and that allows the Remnant to stay in a couple planets off in the corner of the galaxy and just kind of survive. It it brings an official end finally after years and years of fighting. It brings an official end to the war between the Rebellion and the Empire uh, with that peace treaty. But then he comes back in the New Jedi Order trilogy because the Imperial Remnant ends up allying with the New Republic to take on the Yuzon Vong. Also, due to his leadership and maneuvering of the Moths, um, and that is what gets him into Republic uh, command because he kind of just you know switches on over into that leadership role, and his end ultimately comes. Um, during the rise of of Darth Cadus, um, in uh, I'm just blanking on the name of that series now. Even though you mentioned it at the beginning of the episode, like a see Carl. You the force. Thank you. Yep. I like can see the force. Um, and he's assassinated by uh, a Jedi named Tahiri Valia who was in a relationship with Anakin Solo, but she gets twisted because of that relationship by Jason Solo in order in into following him. Uh, so, and she becomes his assassin, much the same way Ventress was Dooku's assassin during the Clone Wars. Um, and she takes down Palion um, after he was leading one of the Republic fleets against, uh, forces. So, but he has a very interesting and very fascinating story as, you know, a model imperial officer that just wanted the fighting to stop. Mm-hmm. Like it was always kind of his goal to to just safeguard peace, and you know, be this military officer, but not be needed. You know, that was kind of what he really wanted. Especially towards the end, um, he just wanted things to be quiet. He was done of all the, with all the fighting, and I think a lot of that kind of. That fight was kind of taken out of him after Thrawn, the the Thrawn stuff, and he just kind of uh, really was was a driving force and a a key ally of Leia's. You know, between the Imperial Remnant and the uh, um, the Republic, peace accord and everything like that. They he and Leia had a very good professional working relationship that became a very good. Uh, personal relationship afterwards, if I recall correctly. So, I've always enjoyed him. He's been one of my favorite um, expanded universe characters of all time. Um, just a secondary kind of character that that kept showing back up, um, and that's part of why I liked him. So, just a good character all around.
4: Hey, I like it. I mean, it's probably why you grew to love a character like uh, you know um, Captain Kennedy. <laughs> in, yeah. in I last, do like right? Captain Kennedy. A yes, lot. I know you do. So,
3: good connection.
4: Yeah, good connection. Well, yeah. Ca- yeah. I mean, Captain Kennedy. You know, is he was someone who also well, he he was with the Empire for a long time, and you know, I mean, a lot of the First Order people were. But um, yeah, no, I, you've always loved a good Imperial officer. <laughs>
3: I have. I have a good um, Imperial officer. Um, you, you, of course, have have your your buddy Firmus. Um, oh, so too. Yeah.
4: There's not, there's no one better than Piet in my book, <laughs> in my book, but um, yeah, but no, Pally it was a great character in the old Legends canon, and um, very much became the prodigy of Thron, right? Like, learning under Thron makes him brilliant later on in his own story. Um, so yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm not so su- I'm not surprised you mentioned him. I'm shocked that it's kind of your favorite part of the old EU, but uh. uh Hey, that's awesome. Yeah.
3: Especially the post-return of the Jedi era. He he's kind of just one of the more memorable characters for me. I love him. So. Well, I yeah. love it.
4: Um so my goodness. I mean there are just there's just so much old legends that we could talk on and on and on about, but we just wanted to hit some of our major moments um for this week. Um but as we are always want to do when we bring up t- topics like this, Always so curious about what your favorite parts of the old Legends canon were.
3: So that leads us to our next poll, Jason. Yes, it does. Uh, we want to know what is your favorite Legends story? You know, book, comic, video game, whatever it is. We, we want you to let us know uh, what your favorite story from the old Legends canon is. The old expanded universe. So, Carl... If people want to weigh in on the poll or anything that we mentioned this episode, where can they do that, sir?
4: Uh, Well, they can um, find us on Twitter at WampasLair. We're on Facebook at Podcast. We have our Instagram um, that I'm having a great time with at just the underscore WampasLair. And you can always email us at WampasLairPodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget, stick around if you feel so inclined after we are done Recording uh, after we're finished here to stick around for the second episode of the A New Hope radio drama.
3: Yes, please. You will not be disappointed if you do.
4: <laughs> you got Carl before we wrap this up? Uh, no, I think this is going to do it for us. This was, this was a blast, Jason.
3: It-, it is a legendary episode, that is for sure. <laughs> All right, and with that pun, thank you everyone so much for listening to this episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This has been episode number 391, Legends of the Expanded Universe. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampa's Lair.
2: Episode 2, Points of Origin. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, there came a time of revolution, when rebels united to challenge a tyrannical empire. The Rebellion had its origins on many worlds, at many levels of society. One of the leaders of the Rebellion is the Princess Leia Organa of Alderaan. But neither her high birth nor her status as an imperial senator will protect her should her rebel affiliations be discovered.
0: our heavy weapons trained on that ship, Commander. We do, Lord tyan But the ship appears to be just what she claims, a consular ship on a diplomatic mission. I have no doubt that she is. Princess Leia of Alderaan is a veritable angel of mercy. <laughs> Still, we mustn't become lax.
2: Commander, the Princess Leia Organa demands to speak to the task force leader.
0: I'll take it here.
5: This is the Princess Leia Organa. Who's responsible for this outrage? A
0: delight to hear your voice again, Your Highness. Lord Tyon here.
5: I command an explanation for this, Lord
0: Tyon. I would be honored to explain. I'll send my personal landspeeder for you.
5: My own is being lowered now.
0: Then I await you with great anticipation. Lord Tyon, she has no grounds for objection. Our mission on Raltir has been sanctioned by the Emperor himself. Oh, I'm not worried about legalities. I shall now have the privilege of placating a most attractive and influential young woman. Commander, we've got the
2: last of the population centers under control. Search and interrogation procedures have begun.
0: Good. Ask him about Vader. Do you have a location for Lord Vader?
2: He left this central interrogation camp a short while ago for your location.
0: Very good. And the surveillance system?
2: The main surveillance system
0: will be operational shortly, sir. When it's functioning, maintain total audio monitoring of the spaceport. Uh, We're right on schedule, Lord Tyon. The planet's almost entirely under our control. And here she comes, the shining jewel in the organic crown. She's bringing her own bodyguards. Greetings, your highness. Lord
5: Tyon, I demand to know your the meaning highness, of this. Your highness,
0: may I say that while I regret that circumstances require this inconvenience, I'm delighted to see you again. My
5: ship was intercepted on her approach and forced to land under escort. The Tantive Four is a consular ship on a diplomatic mission. You have no right to Perhaps
0: your captain here, Captain,
5: uh... Captain
1: Antilles, Lord Tyon.
0: Antilles, yes. Perhaps he'll be good enough to explain what cooperation the Empire may command when emergency powers are invoked.
5: Emergency powers? For what reason?
0: When peace and stability are threatened, it's the Emperor's duty to
1: intervene, to ensure his subject's security and well-being.
5: Well-being? They're the ones you're arresting!
1: Your Highness, in view of the uncertain situation here, I think we should depart around as soon as possible.
0: A sensible attitude, Antilles. It speaks well of your loyalty.
5: How long will this state of emergency exist?
0: Until certain troublemakers have been sifted from the general populace. Now, just what was your purpose in coming here, Your Highness?
5: A humanitarian gesture, Lord Tyon.
0: I'm afraid you'll have to be more precise. I ask in my official capacity now.
5: The Tant 4 was to deliver medical supplies and spare parts to the High Council of Raltir.
0: Pity to say the High Council no longer exists, either as individuals or as a political entity. Your misguided charity would have been spent on traitors.
5: Surely you don't think that the entire population Enough of them
0: the- were sympathetic to the Rebel Alliance to require a purification here. The Empire will exert close guidance over them for their own safety.
5: With a Starfleet blockade? With impressment gangs and interrogation centers?
0: I recommend great care in choosing your words, Princess. I have a high regard for your family and, if I may say so, for you yourself. But there are certain things which even an organa may not say with impunity.
1: Her Highness was expressing understandable distress at the situation, of course.
0: Of course. You'll pardon my candor, I'm sure, Your Highness. Perhaps I was too severe.
5: It was nothing.
0: You're too kind. You know, seeing your lovely face puts it in my mind to take your father up on his long-standing offer and spend some time on Alderan.
5: Lord Tyon, this would hardly be the time for... Any
0: time's the time to visit Alderan? How can one not enjoy a planet where peace and beauty are common preoccupations, and art and learning the popular pastimes?
5: We also follow current events, Lord Tyon. After this, you may not be so welcome as Now,
0: you... now, Princess Leia. I'm a soldier and statesman in the service of the Emperor. A man of the galaxy like your father understands that. Besides, my visit would give us a chance to become better acquainted, you and I.
5: Since we can't deliver our release supplies, I intend to raise ship immediately, Lord Tyon.
0: And deprive me of your company so soon?
5: I see no reason to remain.
0: Well, I should search your ship. Procedure recommends it. Unless, of course, the Princess would care to dine with me this evening?
5: I suppose that could be a Yes. There's an ambush on the Spacefield, southern perimeter. The firefight's
0: still in progress, sir Have the area contained Deploy troops immediately, I want the area contained Sir, Commander, send in one of our reserve companies I want prisoners And have Lord Vader meet us there
6: Yes, Lord Tyron
0: Princess Leia, you'll have to return to your ship for safety's sake A foolish rebel gesture doomed to failure, of course We've got the entire city well under control I'll leave an escort here for you
5: I've my own, thank you
0: Very well, Your Highness, Captain Antilles
1: Commander, the southern perimeter, quickly Sir
5: I suppose we have little choice but to go back to the Tantive, Antilles.
1: <sighs> what if Lord Tyon searches her cargo?
5: He'll only find medical supplies and technical equipment.
1: Combat-type medipacks, three surgical field stations, spare parts and power units suitable for military equipment? Your
5: Highness! What was that? Your... Uh... Antilles over there, that man by the landspeeder. He's wounded. <sighs> Come on. Perhaps we can be of some help after all. Here
1: Your highness, I must speak to you He's been shot. Are you all right? Let's sit him up
5: We have to summon a manic from the tentative No, no time That attack, a
1: diversion so I could get through to you Why? Information I absorbed it under
5: hypnotic imprint Sword in his brain What information? We, we can't,
1: we can't talk out here hey, They're setting up a surveillance system in the administration center They'll monitor any conversation that's not shielded I'll call the ship Tantive Four. This is the captain. Train sensors on the city's administration center and tell me whether their surveillance system is operating. Negative, sir. Inform me if there's any change.
5: Sir. We've got to get this man aboard the ship. Wait. Look. More stormtroopers. Quickly, hide him in the speeder. Your highness, this puts you in too great a danger, no greater than yours. There. there.
1: lie still in there and not a sound for all our lives
5: until he's look in that first feeder the black mask and cloak
1: Darth Vader
5: so even Lord Tyon has an imperial watcher over his shoulder
7: welcome Princess Leia to Raltir Lord Vader? Once again, you appear where rebel activity is rampant. You should be more prudent. You might come to harm someday.
5: If you're looking for Lord Tyon, he's out on the Spacefield's southern perimeter. I believe he's awaiting your arrival.
7: It occurred to me to wonder why those traitors would throw their lives away on a useless gesture.
5: Perhaps they hope to steal a ship.
7: Or
1: to divert us. You'll excuse us, Lord Vader, but it's my duty to get the Princess back to the safety of the Tatby Four.
7: Stand where you are, Captain. You've entered a security zone. Your ship and cargo, your vehicle and your own persons, even yours, Your Highness, are subject to search here and now.
5: Ours is a diplomatic mission of mercy.
7: An Imperial decree of special emergency outweighs that. You're under our jurisdiction.
5: Lord Vader, the Imperial Senate won't take this lightly. And any decision to search our ship rests with Lord Tyre. He's in charge here.
7: And so he is. Yes, we'll make this completely legal. And then see just what it is you're concealing. I wouldn't try to raise ship. Starfleet has orders to fire without warning. Driver,
1: to the southern perimeter. You better get back to the Tantive at once, Your Highness. We must get this man to a medic, and the shipping records have to be altered. Why? To make it appear that you know nothing of the ship's cargo or of our friend here, for that matter.
5: I won't let you take the blame for this, Antilles. We must find a way of preventing Tyon from searching the ship. But
1: please, we can't discuss it out here. Any moment now, that surveillance system will be in operation. That's it. What?
5: The surveillance system. Don't you see? Tyon is certain to use it to eavesdrop on us. Find out how soon it'll be working.
1: Tantivi, this is the captain. How close to operational is that surveillance system in the admin center? Every Activation now, sir. A few more moments. Notify me when they're preparing to activate. Yes, sir.
5: You're certain you will be able to monitor our conversation?
1: Anything we say out here in the field will be subject to monitoring when the system's activated, yes.
5: Then I shall set a little trap for Lord Tyon. I'll take advantage of that bloated ego of his. Take your cues from me, Antilles. Captain, the system's energizing in five
0: seconds. Four, three, two, one, mark.
5: I think I shall let Lord Tyon search the the Antilles. It'll serve him right.
1: What do you mean, Your Highness?
5: Lord Tyon is attractive. But he's too forward, too confident. He needs to be taught a lesson. If he searches the Tantaby, he'll anger my father, and I'll be able to keep him at arm's length a little longer.
1: And if he doesn't order a search?
5: I think it's unlikely. He's not that much of a gentleman. You're probably right. And we must leave at once for Alderman.
1: First officer, Ah. request clearance for immediate takeoff. off
2: Your Highness, good to have you back.
5: Tarek, I know I'm not exactly dressed for the throne room, Your father
2: left strict instructions to have you shown in the moment you arrived.
5: Not a very good sign, is it?
2: No, Your Highness.
5: Well, I can't mend things by standing out here.
2: Uh, Yes, Your Highness, if you please.
6: The Princess Leia Organa of the Royal House of Alderaan. Greetings, daughter.
5: And to you, father.
6: When you didn't come directly to the court, we worried. Tarek, you may withdraw. Dismiss my thought. Yes, Your Majesty. Claire. (laughs) Welcome home. Oh, Father. Welcome home. (laughs) We were all so worried about you, and here you show up looking like a freight hauler's assistant. (laughs) When the Tantive landed yesterday, I expected you... I couldn't
5: come straight home, Father. I had some thinking to do.
6: And may a father ask why his daughter's doing all this
5: soul-searching? Father... People on Raltir have been chased from their homes. Pinned up like animals. Executed without trial. Torture chambers are set up everywhere. They call them interrogation centers.
6: The usual imperial procedure. You're lucky to get off with your life. And what conclusions have you reached?
5: It's time Aldran, stopped resisting the Empire and started fighting it. Now, I know that runs counter to everything you believe in, Father, but I can't... Violence
6: and warfare nearly destroyed us during the Clone Wars. Do you want to begin it all again?
5: But we must help. What good does Alderaan's not having a single weapon do when the Emperor keeps building his armies and his Starfleet?
6: Will you be the one to bring war to us, Leia?
5: No. But I can't stand by while others in the Rebel Alliance are risking their lives.
6: Will you take up arms? Are you prepared to kill?
5: I didn't start this. The Empire did. I want only to stop it, Father. (sighs)
6: It may be too late even for that. Why? The wounded rebel you brought home gave us his information. The Empire has a secret project underway. Supervised by the Grand Moff Tarkin himself, Lord Tian and a number of others are working under him.
5: Tyon? What is it?
6: An ultimate weapon. Some sort of enormous battle station. They've codenamed it the Death Star. What? We need more information, Leia. Here is your chance to help me. How? Lord Tyan is on his way here now. He has taken me up on a long-standing offer of hospitality and has invited himself to Alderaan. It seems he's convinced that you're taken with him.
5: <laughs> that was a ruse.
6: Your real feelings towards him are not unknown to me, Leia. Mm. Now, I've arranged for a private dinner party, just the three of us. What? And you and I will see what we can learn.
5: Well, I suppose it's only for an evening. May it pass quickly. <laughs>
0: now, I'll tell you something about these traitors and terrorists who call themselves rebels and freedom fighters. They don't truly understand war. The fools on that particular planet actually thought that the Empire would negotiate with a pack of fanatics. Oh, no. <laughs> so, when these so called resistance leaders showed up to parley, we locked the doors from the outside and torched the building. <laughs> oh, 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 my, my. <laughs> What's the matter Princess Leia
6: Have I failed to amuse you Lord Tyon my lord is upset That you've chosen to wear a sidearm Alderaan is a world of peace We have no weapons That's why I came
0: without guards For an intimate little dinner among peaceful people But I'm a soldier of the emperor And a soldier must always be ready for duty
5: I'm sure you must feel secure Being the only one armed ah,
0: Yes Lord Tyon can I help you to some large no, Thank you no marvelous idea dispensing with table servants and a
6: long guest list no one cherishes quiet and informality more than we lord ty and i assure you <laughs> <laughs>
5: <clears throat> what are your plans on Alderan?
0: well i want to go down to your continent of fun and take part
6: in the hunting hunting hmm? there's no hunting on Alderan. Come, come. I have it from good sources that your wildlife service will be thinning out the herd. They will only be culling out animals who are too diseased or too old to last the winter. Their forage will be scarce this season. But someone has to do the actual culling, as you call it.
5: And that's how you spend your holiday? Executing weak animals? I I beg your pardon, Lord Time, but...
0: (laughs) It's quite all right. You lead such a sheltered life. You couldn't be expected to appreciate the way a soldier and outdoorsman thinks. Indeed. But you really ought to look beyond your Aldoran philosophies and consider the value of other things. Such as? Technology. Oh, I'll admit that you were more than comfortable here on Aldoran, but by employing more efficient methods, you could expand your economy threefold.
5: If we cared to.
0: Consider our two attitudes, Your Majesty. Your people place primary importance upon being at one with themselves. You don't approve? Consider the other side of the coin. A technology and methods of organizing people that can reshape entire planets and bring the galaxy under a single rule.
5: Whether the galaxy desires it or not.
0: Aldran could profit from a closer link to the Empire. I could provide that link. Perhaps you could make yourself clearer, my lord. A marriage between your daughter and me would benefit all of us.
5: And what are you offering?
0: (laughs) Well said. At present, I'm only a minor nobleman from a lesser house. Soon, I shall be in one of the positions of highest authority in the
5: Empire. (laughs) As far as I can tell, you're little more than an errand boy for the Grand Moff Tarkin.
0: The project we're completing will change all that. By serving Tarkin, I'll win an exalted rank for myself.
5: And what is this project that's supposed to persuade me to marry you?
0: Well, it's still classified.
5: Then come back when it's unclassified.
0: (laughs) Do you think I'm afraid to break a rule now and then? The project, as I said, is nearly complete. And the next convoy from Governor Tarkin's headquarters will transfer the plans to the Imperial vaults.
5: Then amaze us with your confidences. (laughs) We're waiting.
0: The Empire has built a battle station. Surely there's nothing new about a space fortress? I don't mean a mere orbital gun platform, Your Majesty. This is a machine of war such as the universe has never known. It's colossal, the size of a Class 4 moon, and it possesses firepower unequaled in the history of warfare.
5: And this... This flying pillbox is going to make you a member of the Imperial elite?
0: More than a pillbox, Princess. It boasts a prime weapon capable of destroying entire planets.
5: Entire planets? Mm
0: -hmm. Henceforth, the Emperor will single out a source of trouble, and Lord Tarkin and those of us who serve him will simply snuff that trouble out of existence. But... But this is unthinkable. It's progress. A new order is emerging, and I intend to be among those who lead it. Your daughter can share it with me, and Alderaan can prosper from it. Blood and death. Leia, I think From an there's... empire that will rule unchallenged because of that battle station.
5: A galaxy of slaves. Is that what you think I want?
0: Leia, calm yourself. I'm offering you a place in the empire, Leia. And yes, a galaxy at your feet.
5: An empire of oppression under a Death Star that Leia, will
0: destroy... Death the... Star... How did you know that? The subject name?
5: was marriage, Lord Tyon. I find your proposal. How did you
0: t- know that code name? I didn't mention it.
5: Well, I use no code name. I- you
0: did? I heard you. Death Star. Only someone with rebel contacts could have learned it. A mere verbal image, Lord
6: Tyon. My my, That was is no
0: accidental con- turn of phrase. Lord Tyon! Your Majesty, I'm summoning the Imperial authorities. I'm going to have you and your daughter question. I'll trouble you to remember that you're a guest under this roof. To remain where you are. We'll soon see how much the Organas know about the Rebel Alliance. Stand aside, Princess. You're only making matters worse for your father and yourself.
5: No. Leia! We can't let him do this, Father. I
0: will ask you one more... T- let me go. Traitor! No! Stop,
5: Leia! No!
0: Let me go! i <laughs>
5: you! His blood! Uh, at least
6: Yet. Yes. The rebellion has fought its first space battle. I got word to them about the convoy Lord Tyon mentioned. And? They won. Oh, Father. We have captured the plans of the Death Star. Oh. We suffered heavy casualties, but it's an important victory. Now, what about Tyon?
5: His body's been taken to the Southern Game Preserve.
6: Good. The Empire shouldn't miss him for some time. Unless other business is settled, we'll arrange a likely hunting mishap and. He died by his own hand. You mustn't blame yourself.
5: I don't, Father. Where are the plans now?
6: The rebels on Toprawa want us to enter their solar system and make a close pass by their planet. They'll transmit the plans to us.
5: But that will surely be a restricted system by now.
6: I shall take the Tantive. But, Father... It's still protected by diplomatic immunity.
5: But you can't go, Father. You're too important to Alderaan.
6: There. The plan depends on the Tantive. Only the royal house may ride in that ship.
5: Father, who's always traveling in the Tantivy on errands of mercy?
6: There, No, no, no. I won't let you go.
5: they'll be less suspicious of me. Father, I told you I've been doing some thinking. Rebels died on Raltier to get word to us. Others died to capture the plans of the Death Star.
6: They knew the danger.
5: So do I. You can't expect me to stay here when there's vital work to be done. Father? Very well. Oh!
6: But Antilles will go with you.
5: Father, I won't fail you. Or the Alliance.
6: There will be a second part to your mission, Leia. In the struggle, we shall need more than arms and intercepted plans. It's time we summon the help of one of our wisest warriors and leaders. Who, Father? The Jedi Knight, Obi-Wan Kenobi.
5: General Kenobi?
6: Yes. Because of him, we survived the Clone Wars. Now we need his help again. Where is he? I'll give you the precise coordinates. After your mission at Toprahua, you must go to him and convince him to resume the fight against the Empire.
5: I will do my best. You'll have to hurry. Father, thank you for trusting me. I'll try to make you proud of me.
6: My daughter, you already have. You already have. Now hurry!
2: The princess Leia Organa is bound for Tuprawa to intercept the plans of the Death Star, and then for Tatooine. On that dry, barren planet waits one of the last of the renowned Jedi Knights. And though Leia doesn't know it yet, a young moisture farmer named Luke Skywalker, whose life is about to be caught up in perilous entanglement with her own. Star Wars Episode 2 by Brian Daly, based on characters and situations created by George Lucas. Featured in the cast were David Aykroyd as Antilles, John Considine as Tyon, Stephen Elliott as Prester, Brock Peters as Darth Vader, and Ann Sachs as Leia. The series was directed by John Madden, with sound mixing and post-production by Tom Vigley, music by John Williams, Sound design for Lucasfilm by Ben Burt. Story editor for the series was Lindsay Smith. Casting and production coordination by Mel Saar. Executive producer was Richard Toskin. Executive producer for Lucasfilm was Carol Teitelman.